Welcome to Igris Moshe A to Z, where each week we look at three vote of Rav Moshe Feinstein, going through the alphabet, doing a different theme each week. This week, we're looking at conversion. And today's tshuva is from 1949. It's Yoridea 1-160. And it is on the question of conversion of, done by conservative rabbis. Now, while most people would expect Rav Moshe to go right to the issue of the status of a conservative rabbi, this truth is actually one that deals with multiple aspects of the components of Geirus and gives a good overview of his opinions on a number of areas. And actually also is one in which he addresses a phenomenon amongst conversions being done by Orthodox rabbis. So here was the case. He frames it as follows. Again, this is from 1949, a relatively early tshuva. was by a conservative rabbi, and I should note that Rav Moshe makes a point of never calling a conservative rabbi a rav, or concerning them rabbanim. It's always rabbi and rabbis. Did not want to give them the status of that title. So he says, here was something that was done by a conservative rabbi. There was not the proper Kabbalat mitzvot. He does not say what constitutes the proper Kabbalat mitzvot, or why this did not satisfy that. We'll find out in a bit. But conversion requires three components for a man and two for a woman. Uh, for a man, there's circumcision, and for both a man and a woman, its components are accepting of the mitzvot and immersion. And Rav Moshe here focuses on those two components. So number one, he says that the accepting of mitzvot was not done properly. We'll find out about that. Number two, when it comes to the immersion, he says, It wasn't done in the presence of the men. It was done in the presence of their wives. For reasons of modesty, they did not actually go in to directly into the mikvah room itself. This actually recently has been an issue of major discussion and controversy. Rav Moshe here is dealing with this a good from a good 70 years ago. So what's the issue? Let's start with the question about accepting the mitzvot. And notice again that Rav Moshe does not start by saying, oh my God, conservative rabbis on a based in, it wasn't a good based in. He'll get to that discussion, but he starts with focusing on these two components. So what's the issue with accepting the mitzvot? One could expect that the problem would be that if it's a conservative based in, maybe their understanding of what the obligation of the mitzvot were is not the same as ours. Were, were they being told they could drive to Shul on Shabbos? Rav Moshe doesn't seem to focus on that. His focus is that they were doing the conversion that the Gare presumably was not really ready to live a fully halachic life. And does that count to the Kabbalat mitzvot if it's clear that they're not really committed to a fully halachic life. But of course, once this issue is raised, it's not just a question of a conservative based in. This gives Rav Moshe the opportunity to address a phenomenon that a lot of Orthodox rabbinim were doing conversions, often for cases of marriage and so on, that it was clear that the, that the gear, maybe they would be involved to a certain degree, but they were not going to live a fully halachic life. So what is the, what is the halacha? Does that, can such a conversion be valid? He starts by saying the following. This geirus clearly does not count. That's obvious. Obviously, it's a required criterion to accept the mitzvot. Without that, it's not good, even b'dievet. Now, what about the fact that maybe they are doing some of the mitzvot and just not doing all of them? This raises another issue of chutz midavar echad. Does it have to be full observance of the mitzvot? And Rav Moshe says it does. Even if it was everything except for just one thing, certainly, and certainly for excluding a number of things, it's 
Bidia, even post facto, even Bidiyevid, no good. Now, I should say, and we'll see in our next episode, that Rav Moshe does not always say this. In other two vote, he can seriously considers the possibility that a non-full Kabbalat mitzvot, even if somebody is not going to be fully observant, is not planning on doing certain things, might work post facto. But here, in this early tshuva, he accepts it for, takes it for granted that it does not. Now, okay, but everybody knows you need acceptance of mitzvot, so what were these rabbis doing? What did they do for their acceptance of mitzvot? So presumably what they did is they asked the ger, are you intending to keep the mitzvot or do you accept the mitzvot? And she said yes. So now comes a question, what happens if somebody says they are, but we can assume or, or suspect that they might not actually keep them? Does that constitute a legitimate Kabbalat mitzvot? The normal principle in halacha is dvarim shebeleveinam dvarim, that I cannot be held accountable for what you're thinking, and therefore if you say you're accepting the mitzvot, I have to take that at face value. Uh, obviously halacha can't worry what's in people's minds, or you, know, you would never know what the halacha is. You can only deal with the evidence that you have. However, the halacha also recognizes that if it's dvarim shebelev kol adam, if it's like not just in your heart, it's evident to everybody standing around, or it's anan sahadi, it's patently clear that you're lying, that you're not sincere, then it's not just something that's in your heart, and then obviously it's not meaningful that you're saying you're accepting the mitzvot. But what about a case where things are a little uncertain? Like maybe somebody will keep them, maybe they won't, they say they are, we're very suspicious, but we don't know for certain that they won't. So here Rav Moshe introduces a, a completely novel idea. It's called Anan Sadi Sheyesh Safek. We are certain that there's a doubt. Now, normally, if there's a doubt, we're not certain. And if we don't know for certain, we have to take you at your word. But Rav Moshe says, if we're certain that there's something suspicious and a basis for doubt, then that casts the whole conversion into doubt. So here's what he says. He says, um, so we actually have to question such a gerut when there's not a sincere acceptance of mitzvot. Notice the shift from rabbis to rabbanim. That actually there are orthodox rabbis who accept this type of a thing. A person saying that they're accepting the mitzvot even if it's clear from context or highly questionable from context whether they are. And then he says, Ha'anan sadi beruban she'en mekabli mitzvot. It's self-evident that most of them are not doing it. Rav Moshe here says that actually many of these cases are non sadi. It's evident that the person is not really being sincere. Ha'anan sadi beruban she'en mekabli mitzvot. Where it's, we can testify, it's clear that in the majority of these cases, they are not accepting the mitzvot. Of course, the majority is not all, so is it really so obvious that they're not? He deals with that in a different tshuva. But then he goes on, and he says some things that are very powerful, especially in a lot of contemporary cases. sofan. Those two words are so, so much is packed into it, as is evident from what happens later on. Um, and he develops this in other tshuvot that if it's clear that after the Geirut, they're not keeping mitzvot, um, and one wonders how soon after the Geirut, but then that can make us look retroactively and see that at the time of the Geirut, they obviously weren't sincere. Now that's potentially explosive, because that means a person's conversion can always be suspected based on how they act later. Remotion in another tshuva speaks about, you know, it wouldn't be true if the behavior changed after a number of years, but if it's an immediate sort of behavior, that would make a difference. Nevertheless, this is a big issue nowadays about retroactively annulling conversions based on how a convert acts later in their lives, which had been something that had been almost completely unheard of, and here at least Remotion is at least acknowledging that there is some basis for that approach. 
Um, so number one, he says, based on their behavior. A, there's a high level of possibility they weren't sincere. Number two, we see their behavior later on. And number three, he says, most of these cases are cases of being done for the sake of marriage. And he says, in so many of them, the spouse, the Jewish spouse, is not really observant. So it's pretty clear that they're not going to be more observant than their partner. Now, sometimes they are. But Rav Moshe says, all of those things combined make it that uh, it should be not an, a real acceptance, even though the gear is saying they are accepted. So after laying that out, all those reasons, he acknowledges the other side. But you could argue the other way, that maybe post facto it works. Why? Because sometimes they are sincere, and maybe that part, and sometimes, uh, even if their husband isn't observing, they're observing. And therefore, it's not obvious that they're lying, and maybe that's enough, and the rest is varim shabalev. And then he says, he says, Personally, I don't think because of a couple of single exception, exceptional cases that that undermines the Anansari. I really think it's patently obvious that they're not accepting it. But nevertheless, maybe that's why some even Orthodox rabbis are accepting these conversions, and maybe that's what it's based on. And it's important to stop here for a moment and to recognize something that is something central in Rav Moshe's Psakim around Gabrus. Because while he sets out a pretty high standard around issues of Gabrus, he also does not go around invalidating Gairus's after the fact. He recognizes that Orthodox rabbis, they have a position. It might not be his position. He even presents what their position would be while saying he doesn't agree with it. And you, the person would be extremely hard-pressed to find any case where Rav Moshe would invalidate an Orthodox conversion after the fact. Uh, the cases where he does do that are cases where he's trying to say, like an Aguna issue and so on. But just to look at somebody who's converted and say, I don't recognize the conversion, Rav Moshe was able to distinguish between having his own high standards and how he treats other people's conversions. So here he has, he has put out his critique of conversions where the Kabbalah mitzvot in his eyes is really pro forma, but he acknowledges that there might be some basis to say that it works. And then he actually goes further to actually argue that the fact that the spouse isn't observing could be a basis to say it's more of a basis to say that it works. And before he said that, that would be a basis to say they're obviously not going to really keep it a halachic life. Then he goes on to say that the fact that their spouse isn't observant could actually be more of a basis to say that it works. How could that be? That seems completely bizarre. Because if the convert, the prospective convert, sees their spouse is doing, is not doing, let's say, a full Shabbat, full kashrut, then when they are told they have to keep the mitzvot, Maybe they don't take that so seriously. Maybe they don't really believe that they have to do the mitzvot. Okay, but isn't that a reason to say it, does, it works even less? So let's see what Rav Moshe says. He says the following. He says, He doesn't keep Shabbat, her husband. So she assumes you're not really obligated to do those things. And therefore, what? And therefore, he says, The Gemara has a classic case of somebody who converted amongst non-Jews and didn't keep any mitzvot, didn't keep Shabbos, didn't keep anything, because they didn't know they were obligated. So this is an important principle in halacha, that if you accept the mitzvot, but you don't know what that, what, what that entails, Nevertheless, that constitutes an acceptance of the mitzvot. 
And Rav Moshe goes further and says, even if you were told what it entails, if you don't believe it, if you think you're looking at your husband, you're looking at the Jewish community, you see people aren't taking that seriously, so even though the Basin is telling you this, you think this is not my, a real obligation, then you're not rejecting what the mitzvot are. You're just not believing what they are, and you are fully accepting what you believe them to be. So this is a real ingenious way of framing how something that looks really bad um, can actually be what helps this person because in this context, maybe the person is totally sincere and they are sincerely accepting the mitzvot as they believe them. So that is as far as the Kabbalat mitzvot. Rav Moshe lays out why he thinks it's no good but acknowledges two good arguments to say it's good. The person said that they were sincere, maybe we can't question it and maybe the context, maybe they really are sincere. Then he turns to challenging the idea that these are that the rabbis are conservative rabbis. We're going to hold off on that. Suffice it to say that here he says that that really would invalidate the based in a because we can't assume they're keeping all the mitzvot, and B, just the fact that they identify as conservative rabbis as a basis for invalidating them. We'll talk about that um, more next week. Um, the last part that he gets to is the issue of immersion. As we said, that's a very relevant issue today. Um, and, there, and he says that that's a real problem, that the immersion has to be in front of a bastin. Again, about this principle about anan sadi, things that are self-evident, maybe that could count as if it's in front of a bastin, and he lays out that possibility. He says, but in in a case where we don't know somebody is really sincere about the whole process, you can't assume if you tell them to go into a room that they're really going to do it. And even if the rabbi's wife says, says that she did do it, that's not direct knowledge that the rabbis have. So Rav Moshe actually says that the rabbis have to be in the mikvah room itself, although he leaves open in terms of contemporary cases that when it's clearly a sincere conversion and somebody's very serious about it, uh, that maybe we could base ourselves on this Anan Sadi, if it's self-evident, that he immersed, that that might be good. The last point that I want to make about this tshuva is another sort of important aspect about Rav Moshe and his approach to not just halacha, but to sort of the community. Because he says, look, I've laid out the reason why this conversion is no good. Um, maybe Kabbalah mitzvot, maybe that was okay. But the, rab the beitin wasn't good, the immersion wasn't good. So this person isn't really a Jew and they think they're a Jew. So now the question is, should the rabbi who wrote him this question how much should he protest if they're trying to bury, if this person died, and now they want to bury this person in a Jewish cemetery? And Rav Moshe here takes a position that he takes in many places, which is, whatever the halacha is, you know, you really have to be very careful before you decide to go and make a big fight about something. And I'll just read the first line. He says, Ach, im if you are going to have to like, get into a big fight in order to prevent this person from being buried in the cemetery, and even at the end of the fight, you might not even succeed. So he says, in that case, I would say that here's a way you can make your peace with the fact that this person is going to be buried in a Jewish cemetery, make sure they're buried maybe in a different location, a certain distance away. Try to figure out how to do it in a way that follows Darche Shalom, you know, Rav Moshe are very much opposed sort of making fight and making machloket. So here's a tshuva again in which, in addition to the halachic points about uh, what constitutes Kabbalat mitzvot, which is such a central issue today, and if somebody says they are, but we're questioning their sincerity, and what about, can we retroactively undermine the gerus? What about the issues of immersion? If, if a woman is immersing, does it have to be in front of male rabbis? In addition to all of those issues, we also see 
you know, some really important principles about how Rav Moshe approaches. Number one, that whatever his high standards are for himself, he's melamed zuchus, he finds a way to explain and justify and defend the practice of rabbis whose positions he does not agree with, and he's not running to invalidate their conversions. I don't think he ever invalidated a conversion of an orthodox rabbi, again, except in the case of a guna. And number two, the idea that whatever your halachic position is, you have to think long and hard before you're going to decide to really make a, a fight in the community over, over these issues. Thanks for listening to Igris Moshe A to Z with Rabbi Dove Linzer. This podcast is brought to you three times a week by Shivat Chovevei Torah. Don't forget to subscribe and check out ycTorah.org to learn more.